This is the Full-Time Real Estate Photographer Podcast. Today we're talking about staff hiring employees. And this is something that I have touched on a little bit in previous episodes. It's not going to apply for everyone. If you're just like a hobbyist on the side, you're not trying to actually build a business, this episode's not really going to be for you. I am talking to photographers that want to run a full-time real estate photography business. So if you're just a hobbyist and you're not trying to build a full-time real estate photography business, you can move right along to the next episode. And if you are, if you are trying to be a full-time real estate photographer, something that is going to help you out tremendously is bringing on a little help. So what does it mean to hire staff, hire employees? What are we talking about here? When you bring on someone onto your team, into your business, that can help you to be even more productive. And ultimately, that's the whole point of what we're doing here, right? Hiring staff is a way to leverage your time and your money. Instead of spending so many hours working and working and working, you can instead pay someone and manage them and just turn what used to take up days or weeks of your life into minutes, relatively speaking. Bringing people on into your business is going to help you get more things done in less time. You have more people working together towards a goal, getting more work done. It is really a wonderful place to be in your business when you can count on people in your team who you have personally trained and hired and who you can pass off a project or whatever at whatever stage it is, then your staff will pick it up when they need to and just get the work done. It is so awesome to be able to just take your life back. A lot of the times as an entrepreneur, especially when you're starting out in your own business, and, and this applies to any entrepreneur generically, uh, not just photographers, but it takes up so much of your time. You have no life. And what life you do have, it's not that enjoyable. So even if you're making a lot of money and just putting it in the bank, Sometimes bringing on an employee will help free up that time so you can actually go on vacation. You can actually spend the weekend with your family and not feel guilty about leaving so many things undone. And, you know, if you're in a business right now or if you're in a place in your business where you're like, well, I actually have a whole bunch of time on my hands. <laughs> well, if that's your style of working, bringing on an employee to help you be more productive throughout the day is going to get you into that position where you can continue your, you know, more free time than not kind of work-life balance. Because, and, you know, that's me too. I really don't want to be working all day every day. There's so many other things that I'd rather be doing with my time. And if I am the only person working in my business or on my business, however you want to think about it or, or look at it, you know, that, that time's just not going to be there. I, I like to travel. I like to read. I like to write. And if I did not have staff, none of that would be possible. So I guess we should just start with this. Is hiring and training an employee or employees, is it even a good idea for your business? 
Now, like I kind of mentioned already, it depends on how you work, it depends on your personality, and it depends on your goals. It might not be the best idea, honestly. And you have to ask yourself, do you like to work on your business or do you like to work in your business? Do you only want to focus on photography and just doing the daily grind of the regular work, taking the photos, booking your appointments, the customer service, the editing, the invoice, like everything? Or do you want to be in a place where you're going to build a business that is going to be even bigger than yourself? And I'm not talking like this grand, like the next Microsoft or anything crazy like that. Like, oh, just sit back and tell everyone else to do the work for you. Like, you're not going to get out of it. You're not getting out of your business. You're not getting off scot-free here. There's a, still a lot of work to do. In fact, hiring on employees comes with its own special brand of problems. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes here. But if you're the kind of person that wants to work in your business and not really grow it, this is not going to be the best thing for you. But if you want to grow your business far past the point that you could reasonably handle that amount of work by yourself, this is going to be really helpful. Now, if you're starting out and you're like, I'm just not there financially, I'm going to talk about how actually you might be or how you can get there. So bear with me. This is going to be some uh, good information that I think anybody can apply. If you're at that point in your business where you're just like, oh my God, I'm so busy. Maybe I need some help. Maybe not. I've got the thing for you. So stay tuned. So let's ask yourself, do you like working on your business or do you only want to focus on your photography? If you're passionate about photography, that's great. But if your passion is on photography exclusively and you don't even like working on like the business side of the business, hiring staff is probably not going to be for you because there is a lot more of administrative kinds of things that need to be done, especially when employees are involved. And we'll talk about that. You're going to need to give that side of your business a lot more attention than you currently are. And a lot of us photographers, entrepreneurs, people like me that are kind of complacent and, you know, procrastinate, that's going to be a little difficult. So I'm going to share some things that I've done in my business here. And, you know, the, the administrative side, it's really important because if you bring people onto your team and if you don't care to or if you don't want to support them, you're going to run into some problems managing them. And potentially you could lose the overall quality of the work that's being done. If you have someone that isn't super comfortable asking questions or coming, coming to you with any kind of an issue, if you, you know, if you just kind of let things go and you're not giving it enough follow-up and enough attention that it needs, if you just set people loose and say, here, go do, go do work, you might find that they kind of drift away from your way of doing things. And, you know, that can be a problem. And that's a normal management problem. That's something that I saw in the army. That's something that I saw working for the state, the state of Massachusetts internally in, in the government. That's something that I saw working these like sh crappy part-time jobs, doing stupid things here and there. Like you run into these problems where if you don't have strong leadership, everything underneath, it's not going to implode on itself, but it starts to kind of crumble and crack and, and mistakes get made and things aren't done the way that you want them to be done when really it's very easy to stay on top of things if you just develop that habit of, you know, being proactive and paying attention to the administrative side of your business. 
So there's a much higher level of responsibility that you will have when it comes to hiring on people. You're going to need to be on top of things. You can't just let issues go on and on. And if you want to grow your business, but you find it difficult to align your behavior with your goals, there is a way to do better. Sometimes it's your mindset. Sometimes you don't have the necessary knowledge to make better decisions, or it could be a little bit of both sometimes. But if you find that your habits are not conducive to a highly productive business, that's actually something that if you don't know what else to do, I could help you with that one-on-one. You could always reach out to me directly if you like. I'll share you know, how to contact me directly at the end. The other method, something that you could use besides just calling Tom, is to study business You know, categorically. Study business, study uh, self-help material and self-improvement material, and really try to internalize these ideas to help them energize you and motivate you and kind of spark new innovative thoughts that'll help you stay on top of those things. Because a lot of what determines our level of productivity in our in our business is going to depend on our actions. And our actions are usually driven by just whatever habits we have in place and our mindset. And and you can change all of those things. You can change your mindset. You can change your habits when it comes to business decisions and behaviors. And you can change the actions that you take. It just takes a little bit more work. So studying, getting some coaching, practicing, all of these things are ways that over time with repetition, we can use to point ourselves in the right direction and actually start hitting those milestones that let us know that we're actually heading towards our goals, not away from them, right? So we're talking about goals. That's pretty important right there. What are your goals? Remember right now, we're talking about if hiring staff for your business is even a good idea. Well, do you have a business goal? Do you have a personal goal when it comes to your business or income or a level of production? If you do, does your goal involve growing your business or your income larger and larger? If you don't have any goals in place, why? You need goals. For my coaching program, I I actually made an entire module on goal setting for the course that I was developing, but I've kind of shifted gears on that. I've developed that so I could actually help you set your goals and your plans and how to reach them. But even if you don't have a coach for your business, you should be setting goals anyway. If you have goals set, if you're one of the few that actually has set a goal for your business, chances are that they're not even high enough. A lot of us set goals that we feel are attainable, reachable goals. Oh, I don't want to set a goal that's too far out there. I want to actually achieve it. I don't want to set something that just doesn't mean anything to me. A lot of us think that that achievable, reasonable goal is like a good place to kind of direct our attention and work towards. But in reality, it's probably not even high enough for you to really grow in your business. If you set an easily manageable goal, what do you do when you reach it? Do you slow down and just say, oh, I'll just set a new goal and a new goal. But if you start by aiming low and what if you actually do reach that goal? You know, why would you spend all that time and effort aiming low when you could really aim high? And and goal setting can be kind of tricky if if you want to set it to a level of productivity that you haven't even achieved yet. Because like I said, it's a whole mindset thing. It's all about keeping you energized, motivated, and 
moving toward that final end point that you set for yourself. So even if you never want to or need to hire an employee, you'll still need to aim high in your business and in your life. And this is really important. Napoleon Hill, he's an incredible author. If you haven't heard of him and just a a great, wonderful philosopher, Napoleon once said, no more effort is required to aim high in life, to demand abundance and prosperity than is required to accept misery and poverty. It doesn't take more effort to aim higher. So why wouldn't you? (laughs) You know, because if you set a low goal for your business and you reach it, the only thing that can come to my mind is, oh my God, what if I had set my goal so much higher? Because it can really hold you back. I mean, you can think, okay, well, you know, I'll set this goal and that's pretty, that's pretty high. Maybe you're just starting out and you're saying, okay, in a few years, maybe I'll try and make $100,000 in income just from photography. And then you hit it and you're like, ah, shit, why didn't I set a goal of a million? Because if you're from the beginning thinking a million, you're going to make business decisions to reach a million. But if you're thinking a hundred thousand, you're going to make decisions to reach a hundred thousand. For a lot of people, even a hundred thousand, that sounds like crazy out of reach. And, you know, to you, I say it's not. Uh, you can hit that a lot faster than you think. It's just a matter of doing the right things. And uh, mindset is a big part of that. And, and goals are super important. You want to have growth oriented goals. And, you know, if you decide that you want to build something greater than yourself, the odds are really good that you're going to need to have a team working with you. It's going to be, it's going to be really difficult to hit those super high goals without a team. You're going to be much more effective if you have people who are working with you on reaching your goals. Because if you're succeeding, the people that you are working with are succeeding too. Everybody wins when they're working together. So if you're thinking, well, okay, I could hire someone, but you know, then I'll be profiting and benefiting off of all of their hard work. You might not feel super comfortable about that, but you got to remember that you're going to set up a win-win scenario here. A lot of people have this kind of a negative association when it comes to employer-employee relationships, and that's coming from corporate America. That's not coming from an absolute status of what it means to be a boss and have staff. You can take people that were underemployed or unemployed, give them work, give them money, which is really what they want, teach them a really valuable skill. Both of you will profit and grow at the same time. Or, you know, if it's three people, five people, 10 people, whatever, the whole group, everybody involved can work together towards the same goals, building a business, creating a really incredible and high quality product for your clients. Everybody wins. Your clients get something super valuable. It helps them sell their house, right? Your self and your team are not just producing good work, but you're making good money while you're doing it. It can be a lot of fun and it can be really, really great experience. So if you've got goals and you're aiming high enough, you're probably going to need to hire on some staff. And I'm not talking about this massive, incredible team. It's been a couple of years that I've only needed a small team, really. You only need the right staff in the right places. And it's not that expensive either. It's not that far out of reach. And, you know, if I was thinking a million at the beginning, I would have done this so much sooner and 
I would have been taking home a lot. You know, the profits that I'm taking now, I could have had years ago. But if you aim low and you land or or hit low, you're going to be kicking yourself for not aiming high enough. So, you know, if you want to grow your business, hiring on some staff and bringing on a team can help you get there. And you might be closer to that point than you might think. So how do you know that you're at the point that you might need to hire somebody? Well, some of us will instantly find our thoughts going to money, but you might be surprised to find that income is not the first determining factor in when you'll know when it's time to hire someone. It's not an income question. It's not, well, once I start making X dollars per year, then I could afford to pay somebody. You're thinking backwards. If that's the first thought that came to mind, well, you know, I have to make an extra forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 just to afford the payroll. Actually, no, because if you have enough business that's that can support uh, another photographer or some administrative hires, you can leverage their working hours to make more time for yourself to generate even more business than before. You're not just you're not just funneling money out of your pockets for no reason. You're putting people to work to help you bring in more income. So you don't need to have weeks or months of employees pay sitting in there in the bank, although you, you would want to be in that position. Actually, you'd want to have more than that saved. If you have hourly employees, you know, do the math. See what your hourly income versus expenses would be, right? So how much time does it take for you to do a photo shoot of a certain size house or whatever? And how much money are you taking in per that sized house? I mean, you could just roughly you know, get some averages. Uh, it shouldn't be too difficult if you're at least keeping track of your invoices. And, you know, if you're taking more money in than what you're paying out, then it's probably a good idea to hire someone, right? Because when you're taking more money in than when you're paying out just by yourself, bringing on some help to help you take even more money in is going to still see your bottom line go up, not down. So if you are able to take in enough money to cover the hours your employees have worked, plus other expenses, plus profits on top, then you know that's, that's when you know it's time to go create some jobs. Depending on your prices, you may find that you can't afford very much in the way of payroll. That's okay. Did you know that you can hire virtual assistants and editors overseas, you could have a weekly payroll that would be less than a single day's pay for a full-time photographer with administrators and editors. Uh, I actually wrote about this in the full-time real estate photographer book, and I've done whole modules on this with what was once going to be the uh, full-time real estate photographer course, but like I said, now going to be personalized coaching. But like, I'm serious. I'm not exaggerating this. A week's pay versus a day's pay. And this is something that I'm doing right now in my business. I have several full-time employees overseas who are making much, much higher income than they could be earning at home. Like... (laughs) like on the order of like multiples more per day, per week, per month, year, whatever, working for me versus getting a job like locally. But because of, you know, the difference in cost of living, it's still at a lower rate than what I'd have to pay here in the U.S., in Massachusetts, in 2019, because it's, you know, 
mass-based business that we'd have to pay here because just, you know, we have such a significantly higher cost of living, right? Especially in the U.S., especially on the eastern seaboard. Massachusetts is one of those states that's kind of like the Boston area. It's notorious for crazy high real estate prices. I mean, it's not the most expensive in the country. I think that's uh, San Francisco and then there's New York, but you know, it's it's up there. And there's other places on this planet that things are just not that expensive. And the, you know, living expenses being lower, the wages are way lower. And you probably have seen a documentary about this, how some people around the world are not paid very much money at all. But for me paying them several times more than what they'd be earning, and yet several times less what I'd have to hire someone here for locally, you can get a tremendous amount of work done. And it's not that expensive. So any of my full-time real estate photographers, if you're in coaching with me, uh, you've got access to my staff. Uh, you can actually send work to them and, and they can work with you and help you in your business uh, at my rates. But, you know, anybody else, like if you have time to do the research and, you know, go through the hiring, training, and then doing the day-to-day -day managing, I mean, with, with that time to actually do the work and a can-do attitude, you can do the same thing. You don't have to be working with me directly to have those people. I mean, it's not like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Like I said, there's still some work involved, but it's doable. And you can take things that have taken you hours and hours to do and have someone else do it just as competently as you. And just as competently as you because you're going to train them how to do things exactly the way that you do them. And that's how it's going to be with anybody based in your own office or overseas. So, you know, if this is starting to sound like it might be an interesting idea, how do you find potential employees? Okay, you get two options, online and in person. And uh, online is where most of my new hires come from. And I'm talking about like advertising, you know, like whether it's for an overseas virtual assistant or freelancer or is if it's for a local worker. Pretty much online is where... I start. I'm posting on social media, posting on some job listing sites. Uh, you know, a quick Google search will yield many results. I don't necessarily need to name names. And there might be ones more prevalent for your area as well. You know, I also use freelancer sites that are specifically for freelancers, like people working virtually around the world. And, you know, as photographers, the only thing that has to happen locally is the photo shoot. All the other work is remote, right? Think about all the things that you're doing on your computer. That doesn't have to be even in this country as long as it gets done, right? So when you're posting about new jobs and you're kind of sharing that, hey, I, I might want to work with someone, you, you want to be very specific and have very clear explanations of what the work is that needs to be done. There must be no questions about that. So the people who are reading it and, you know, about about half of the people who apply will read it. Uh, so so that half knows what to expect. And I'm not really exaggerating. It's kind of sad how many people will just throw them out at the wall and say, hey, I'd... you can kind of tell after a while what messages were copied and pasted to like a thousand other job posters versus what was kind of a thoughtful uh, response to a job posting. In time, you'll learn how to just screen them out kind of 
automatically. When it comes to posting, uh, you want to offer really fair and competitive rates. If you don't know what the going rate is for paying the employees, just look for those jobs as if you were a potential employee trying to get hired. And, and that should give you some ideas on what you should offer. And that's if you have absolutely, absolutely no idea. And then it's just a matter of following up with all your leads, scheduling face-to-face interviews, either in person or on a video chat, depending on the person's location. I might lean one way or the other. Sometimes it's a good idea to offer people like a short-term trial or a probationary period at a reduced rate at first. And then if they pass all their tests, you know, bump them up. Like if, if you do a good job and you learn how to do everything independently of me having to micromanage you after the first three months. I'll, you know, bump you up three, four dollars an hour, something like that. Sometimes you can even, when it comes to editors, send them like a test photo shoot and instructions on how you want it done, see how they do before you even pay out a dime, uh, which is really nice. So you can find people that you work and communicate with and that are able to do the kind of work that you need done without actually spending any money, which is, which is really nice. That's my favorite part, actually. It can take some time to find the right person, but you want to take that time because a bad hire can really drain your bank accounts and at the same time add a lot of unnecessary stress to your life. It is really important to methodically and thoughtfully go through your applicants and find the best possible employee that you can. And if you're in this position where you have no applicants at all and you don't know what the heck is going on, the problem is is where you're posting and the language that you're doing it in. So so a good job post. If you have a following on social media and if you're not using social media for your photography, you should be usually through those channels is where I'm starting to publish, hey, I need a photography assistant. Hey, anybody interested in doing this? And then, you know, immediately in my own network, I'll get some some responses. So that's a great place to start in like a sphere of influence. And then, you know, formal job posting, it needs to be specific and it needs to be in the right place where photographers are looking. So you're going to have to, depending on your location and the specific work you need to be done, you're going to need to do a little uh, creative thinking or critical thinking, I should say, on your own about that. Um, Because you should be looking at a a bunch of applications, you know. For most of my job posts, if it's uh, online, like virtual assisting kind of job, I'm going to be looking at upwards of 50 applications at least. And that's just in the first week or so. And then, you know, I kind of sort through interview people and pick who I want to work with. For physical jobs, like assisting jobs, that's a few here and there, you know, after a week or two. And then I I pick the best out of those applications as well. But generally, I find that online virtual assisting jobs, freelancing jobs, you know, admins, editors, things like that, uh, that tends to be higher in volume. But you want to make sure you get the right employee. You do not want to just say, oh, okay, this seems like you'd be a good fit. Yeah, why not? We'll try you out. And then realize that they don't want to listen or they're not doing things the way that you wanted. Because, you know, you're going to be paying them to not do what you want. That doesn't make any sense. They can go do whatever they want on their own time. But if you're hiring someone to do a specific job and you're showing them how to do it, you want that person to actually follow your instructions. I mean, like I mentioned before, management 
brings on its own kind of little world of problems. And this is why you can't leave the administrative side of things to the wayside. I've freed up so many hours during the week, but not all of them, okay? You still have to check in, make sure things are getting done. Sometimes even with photo editors, you have to go in and add some finishing touches because when you get good at it, no one is quite as good as you are. <laughs> and if you've been in business for a while, you know what I mean. You, you have your own style of doing things, even if you really spell out your instructions, just sometimes it's that personal touch that you have. Uh, you can still add that onto the photos and it takes an hour of editing to, you know, 10 minutes, right? Like you're still doing something, but most of that time was freed up to go do other photo shoots or, you know, enjoy your life. If you're not enjoying your life while you're working on your business, I, I take a lot of personal pleasure from building my businesses and, and working on these things on the side. So uh, it's not that big a deal for me, but I also like to spend time with family. So, you know, when you use your staff and you train them well, it's just going to give you that time. And time is the most important factor. I keep talking about it because that's all we've got. Whether you make a million dollars a year or $20,000 a year, you have the same amount of time as everybody else. The difference is what are you doing with that time? How much of it are you spending sleeping, slacking off, not being productive? How much of it are you doing, you know, building systems, leveraging the systems with money and with employees, using your time wisely to the point where you can just magnify your efforts to unbelievable levels of productivity. And it's not that hard to do. It's just a matter of staying focused, not letting anything slip, and just having that habit of proactively check checking on things. Because I like to think that I'm pretty proactive, but you know, still sometimes something will slip through the cracks. You just have to accept that you can't just be 100% hands-off. You can't just put a machine on autopilot and then just say, okay, I'll come back next year and see see how things are going. It's not going to go on in the direction or you know at the same level of productivity as it was when you have your hands on it and you're you know, driving the ship or the plane or whatever mechanical metaphor you want to put onto it or whatever other. I, I kind of lean towards mechanical metaphors, I guess. You can choose your favorite metaphor if you like. But the point is you have to stay involved. Now, if you are hiring some employees and you want to get them working, how do you actually train them? Odds are that even if you hire someone with experience doing the thing that you want them to do for you, like I said, editing, photo shoots, video, whatever, you still might need to train them on just your way of doing it right? So training is really simple. You just have to determine what specifically the person's job is first. If you're hiring a photographer, you want to teach them photography. So, but if that's the specific job, that's all you're going to focus on teaching them, right? If like you talk about other things with them or show them other things, that's fine. But when it comes to training, what is your job? Are you an editor? I'm just going to teach you how to edit and work with the raw files. I'm not going to teach you about the cameras. I'm not going to teach you about, you know, interacting with clients. Like you want to be really specific with your training. So that means that you're going to have to be able to show someone how to do their job, how to use the equipment, how to take the photos, how to deal with potential problems. And in this case, what I like to do is I like to make videos and checklists. 
And, you know, I'll personally, when, when it comes to photographers, I personally will take them on, you know, like normal paid photo shoots and they'll be on the clock just to shadow me, just to walk around and look at what I'm doing and ask questions, but to do nothing else. And usually for a few days, that's it. They're just following me around and watching. And over time, you know, here, now you use the camera, now you use the, the other thing, and, and then, you know, you kind of build on that. Like, usually they'll just watch me, and then I'll say, okay, here's the flash, you're going to hold it, and I want you to hold it up in these areas, and this is how you're going to do it, this is the flash power, okay, do that for a day. And then let them actually trigger the camera and set the settings, and, and then eventually, you know, with with something like this, it, it takes, in my experience, a little bit more time to teach someone that even if they have some experience with a camera, just to teach them my way of doing it. That's like the in-person way. And that's the way that I like to train photographers because it would be so difficult to film a bunch of tutorials and how to deal with every possible scenario. But if it's an editor or an admin and the work is done mostly online, you can record your screen, talk through all the things that you're doing and share that video with them and share a checklist with them, the, a checklist that they can follow for each task. Okay, a new photo shoot came in or a new appointment came in. So the first thing is this, the next thing is this. At first, they're really going to rely on it. But over time, just through the repetition, because you've got them really learning and understanding this one thing, uh, they're going to be able to do it quickly and automatically, which is really nice because things just happen faster than what, what you could do. So right now, I'm actually a couple of weeks into training a new photographer, and he is learning very fast. I might actually even, I don't know, I might even have him come onto the show at some point um, so we can all hear things from his perspective as a brand new real estate photographer. Uh, but, you know, if you're training an editor, that's so easy. Just record everything that you're doing, make your checklists, and then, you know, share some notes for what to do in, like, certain circumstances. And um, just share that. And if you're hiring an editor, sometimes you could put that training material together, share it with them, and say, here's a test photo shoot. I want to see what you can do. Like, here's my process. Go through and edit these. And you could pay them. Sometimes people will say, I'd like to do a free test thing for you. And that, you know, great, good, uh, even better for you. Uh, so you can see what kind of work they do. So, and it's the same for other administrative work. You need to be able to actually do it all yourself. And if people are sick or if they're making mistakes or if something crazy is happening, I had, uh, you know, my cold caller was, uh, she, she got, she was getting married. So <laughs> I had to pick up the slack and for a couple of weeks I had to do, you know, stand in and, and do that work in addition to my other things. So like you can't be totally hands off because you can't just let all these moving parts stop just because something happens. But when, you know, when you build that team, you're building it off of knowledge and skills that you have. You need to be able to do it yourself. And then when you hire and train people to do exactly what you are doing too, you know, if you're a full-time real estate photographer working with me, you could actually skip the whole training part and just work with my staff. But the effort that goes into teaching others, you know, it, it's also a really good learning experience for yourself too. I found that, you know, to, to go through the trouble of like spelling things out has helped me, at least me personally, and, and 
I would hope the same for anyone else. When you look at it like so critically, like I have to break this down in a way that I can just show someone else how to do it once or twice and then set them on their way just to see how they do. You know, obviously still hands on, but you can spot inconsistencies. You can spot inefficient practices. And, you know, I find that training can also be a really good learning experience. So, you know, it forces you to kind of think about your work in a, in a different way. And that's, I find to be just so helpful because uh, it's helped me find better ways of doing things. And, you know, it, it's just, it's just a great process. And if you're going through and if you're learning at the same time that you're teaching, uh, again, it's another win-win kind of scenario. You're teaching someone a new skill that if they're going to work with you forever or not, they're going to be able to use that on their own at some point. If you're afraid that they're going to go out and steal business from you, well, the first problem is that you should take much, you should have taken more time and found more applicants for whatever that job is, because you need to work with someone that you don't feel personally or professionally threatened by. Uh, that's going to be, you know, that tension is not going to go away. Or uh, you could do some NDAs and non-competes, um, you know, some legal contracts. I would consult a local practicing attorney to wherever you you live uh, to see what you could do about that. I know here in Massachusetts, I can have people sign a non-disclosure agreement to not disclose business practices and how I do things and also a non-compete agreement. So, you know, if they quit or are fired or whatever, if they stop working for me, they can't do this kind of work legally within a certain range and over a certain amount of time. And, you know, that solves that. Because if you do find that someone got hired by you, learned how you did your ran your business, and then ran and started a competing business next door. If you did your NDAs and your non-competes, which again comes down to being proactive in your business and thinking about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And this is one of those processes that you go through and say, okay, we're going to do these contracts. And it's it's just smart business. And you know, if you do goodness forbid run into that situation, uh, you could take legal action and seek a seek a remedy financially or court order to have them stop or, you know, cease and desist order or whatever it may be. Um, I'm just kind of randomly throwing around terms that my attorney has used at some point. So you, you should consult your own attorney. I am not an attorney and I'm not qualified to give anybody legal advice, but in my experience, go to attorney, you can get these agreements drafted up if you're worried about the whole business getting stolen thing. So, okay. So you hired some people, you've trained them. How do you pay them? I pretty much 1099 everybody. So writing checks out of the business account does the trick. You could team up with like a payroll company, but I find that at least on my level, the expense isn't quite worth it. It's it's not that expensive, honestly, but it's free for me to just hand out checks, <laughs> right? And then at the end of the year, uh, just have your accountant, you know, do the 1099s because the money that you're spending on payroll, you don't have to pay taxes on. They do. When you when you do that, you don't have to withhold or anything. You can just hire everybody on as as uh, subcontractors or independent subcontractors and uh, pay them accordingly. So you get the tax benefits, and you know, obviously, you'll have that conversation with them to say, look, you're going to be if that's the way that you want to go, 1099 employee. This is what you have to do, and obviously, you want to follow local, state, and federal tax law as well as, uh, you know, employee-employer law. Like I said, you can consult an attorney. And this is not hard to do. I'm saying consult an attorney. It's not like a difficult step to take. It's just you just jump on Google, search 
corporate attorney or some just attorney and call some local people, ask them some questions. A lot of attorneys will just answer your questions for free. Some of them will say, oh, I'll tell you everything you need to know, but you need to come in for a one hour consult and then they charge a fee. And that's, that's not unusual. And for the knowledge that they're going to give you, it's certainly worth it. I know I've done it a few times. So you know, I mean, in my case, for my business, I do 1099s. If you wanted to go real fancy, you wanted to withhold people's taxes and set up the IRS account. And if you wanted to um, give people benefits and give them like weekly paychecks and like that whole deal, uh, you can, you certainly can. It's a little bit more expensive than just a straight 1099 uh, employee, but it's ultimately up to you and your accountant. Just make sure that you have a consistent and a reliable way for tracking hours over the weeks and the months and the years. You will want to know how many hours were worked for you by employees, and you'll want to know how much money was paid out, and you want to know these things at a glance. You don't want to take weeks or months to do research and compile all these information and then do the statistics. Like you want to track these things as you go. Uh, don't put yourself in this weird position where it's just going to take you forever and ever just to figure out how much money you've paid out. I mean, at the end of the year for tax purposes, it's really important to know, but uh, it's just good business to keep records. It's, it's not hard, right? It's not hard. Even if it's like super primitive, it's all in a notebook or or you could get one of those little ledgers, those accounting ledgers. They're cheap. You can pick them up at a, a you know an office supply store like Staples or I think probably even if there's any Ocean State job lot stores around. I don't know. If you're in another country, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe some of you have Staples, but uh, it's not going to be that hard. Even if it's just a lined notebook, keep track of these things and keep a running tally how many hours worked, how much money paid. Because at the end of the month, at the end of the year, you want to know how much went in, how much went out, as far as money is concerned. So you can make somewhat intelligent financial decisions about your business. If you know that you're getting X dollars a month in payroll that you have to pay out, you need to account for that when it comes to making financial decisions moving forward. Maybe it's not time to buy the newest camera that just came out because, oh my God, it's so cool. I've got to have it. If you've got like thousands of dollars of payroll coming. On the flip side, if you know you've got your payroll covered and you see that profits are going up and up and up, which is where they should be going when you're adding employees to your business, you can then make that same decision and say, you know what, I will buy that new camera just because it came out and I've just got to have it because you can afford to now. Hey, what do you know? Or maybe you'll you'll see that, hey, I, I'm I'm paying my employees, I'm, I'm compensating them for their mileage, but I'm profiting enough now thanks to their help. Maybe I could buy a company vehicle, no longer have to pay mileage out. And oh my gosh, I'd actually save money plus all the tax write-offs. Those are decisions that you can only really make when you're tracking uh, your hours and your payroll. Okay, so that's how you pay them. It's simple, just give them money. <laughs> just give them the money. Now, how do you manage your staff? Well, first off, communication is key. You want to have absolute clarity in your expectations and you want to proactively have discussions about things like their demeanor, if they're interacting with uh, clients, their uniform, if they're interacting with clients, best business practices, things that, you know, little tidbits, little hints or tips that you use in your business. 
what to say, what not to say when they're interacting with clients. Now, these are conversations that I always have with people up front. If they're going to be physically in front of someone, I'll say like, look, this is how, you know, I'm, I'm not giving out company t-shirts or anything like that, but I tell them, this is how I want you to dress. It's not a me oppressing you or trying to make you conform to what I think is the best way to be to appear or whatever like it's not about that I, I need you to appear professional because we're working as professionals we need to look the part at least stereotypically so and we all know it's what's inside that counts but when you're working for me you're you're gonna dress nice not not like suit and tie but business casual let's say you know because i don't have like a uniform but simple things like keep a spare pair of boots in your car because you don't know if you're going to walk up to a rehab or a construction site or if it just rained and it's muddy or which is the most common i don't know why but everybody has a dog these days they have some sort of pet that has to go to the bathroom outside and not everybody is super good about cleaning up after their animals. So, you know, I like to throw a pair of boots on when I'm walking around the yard so I don't have to worry about tracking some ungodly thing in through the house. Uh, plus, you know, I wear the little plastic booties too, but sometimes they rip. So it's not like 100% guaranteed protection against if you get some mud or whatever on your shoe, it could still end up in the house. So it's just, you know, it's one of those cleanliness things. It's a uniform thing. Like you have to do this if you're going to work for me and go out on photo shoots for me. You know, best business practices. That's really important for people to understand at for up front like in these situations this is how you react to it and and that's how i want you to do things you know and that's how you manage people you just have that conversation if they're interacting with clients you know in some cases i even write out scripts especially if they're on the phone or if they're doing admin stuff like online they're mostly emailing back and forth with people i'll give them a list of copy for emails and for text messages that they can just copy and paste. No thought about it at all. No question. If someone asks this, this is your exact response. And obviously you can't perfectly copy and paste things all always in every scenario, but it gets you like 90% of the way there. So everything is super consistent across the board. And for me in business, that's what it's all about. It's about the details. It's about the consistency in operations, because even if you run the tightest operation ever, and there are, you know, everything's just airtight and perfectly spelled out and you have a system for everything and then still mistakes happen. So it might sound like overkill if you're hearing this for the first time. You're like, oh, man, I'm not going to write out email scripts for people to copy and paste. That's a waste of time. Well, even when people copy and paste and they make a mistake, you know, the 100 other emails that went out, it was exactly the same and perfect. That kind of deadens the blow of an embarrassing call from a client like, what the heck? What? I don't understand. What is this? Because it's rare because, I mean, it's rare in my business because of the focus on detail, attention to detail, and the consistency, the level of consistency with communication, with everything, right? Follow the checklist, follow this process, follow the system. And when you do that, you can repeat it over and over and over and over again. You really minimize the number of mistakes that can happen. It, and, and it's inevitable. Just human error is just, it's a factor that you have to count into your business. You will make mistakes. You probably have. 
And, uh, you know, if you listen to this podcast for any amount of time, you know, I talk about how it seems like sometimes I learn everything the hard way. You know, that's just life for some of us. But when you're hiring and managing staff, all you got to do is reach out and have a conversation about how things need to happen. If you find that you've got an employee down the line that's disregarding instructions, just keeps doing their own thing, then that's okay. You just have to let them go. That's all. Like, if you've got someone who is untrainable, who is unmanageable, why keep them on the payroll? And if you're thinking, oh, God, you know, I couldn't fire somebody. If you're starting to get a little anxious about that thought, like, understand that if you followed my earlier advice, take your time to really find the right employee at the beginning. This is probably not going to be a problem for you. But if for some reason you didn't take my advice, or even if you did, if just something wacky happened and your performance just falls right off a cliff, you have that conversation about, you know, these were our expectations. This was the job I needed to have done. And I see that it's not being done the way that I want. Why? You know, see if there's a legitimate reason. Maybe it was something that you might have done. You don't have to give up responsibility right off the bat. Maybe there was something you could have done better that would have prevented this problem in the first place. But if it just turns out that they're just not listening and they're just like, no, I want to do it my way because I just want to. Or they yes you to death. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. I'm going to do it your way. Definitely. Oh, yeah, don't definitely. Don't even think about it anymore. It's, it's never going to happen again. And then it does. Common examples would be like showing up late. Someone who's just perpetually late, 5, 10, 15 minutes late. It's like, you know, if you want to be consistent and you want to have a system that works like a well-oiled machine and you want to book appointments in time. So like, you know, if you show up to the first one on time, then you get it done. You'll get to the next one on time and you have people that are kind of slowing you up a lot. That's grounds for, you know, having a conversation, seeing if there's something better that you could be doing to help them out. And if not, to say, look, I'm sorry, but we can't work together anymore. I'm going to have to let you go. And you shouldn't be upset about that because up until now, you've given them the training, you've given them the time, you've gone through interviews, you've done everything that you could reasonably do. Even asked them, potentially, if, if you'd like to ask them, you can, directly. You know, why aren't you doing these things the way that I want? And having that conversation. And then, you know, if you're not getting anywhere, just say, look, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to go somewhere else. And then stop paying them. <laughs> and then, ta-da, poof, they're gone. Once the money goes away, they go away. You don't have to have a fight or anything about it. You know, because if you're hiring and training someone, they need to be trainable and manageable. And that's not difficult. You just show them what to do, how to do it, answer your questions. You know, be there, be supportive. Like I said, hands-on, involved in the whole process. But if you're doing everything you're supposed to and they're not, that's not your responsibility anymore. You don't have to teach someone how to have good habits. You don't have to teach someone that they need to show up on time, right? That's a conversation that you have. And if they don't do it, then they can go be late for someone else. Yeah. You shouldn't have to fight someone to get them to do the job that they came to you and asked you for the opportunity to do, right? You just posted something out and you just put it out in the world and then they came to you. So you shouldn't have to like bend over backwards to get them to do something that they were proactive in, in coming to you and saying, oh, I want to do this for whatever reason. You know, just take your time to find the right hire in the first place. It really reduces the chances that you're going to have a problem with employees on staff. So, you know, managing people that work with you well, 
and that voluntarily and happily follow instructions, it's really quite easy. As long as you're paying attention to detail and you're offering guidance as it's needed. Um, Because like I said, mistakes happen and it's just a matter of being like, oh, hey, why did this happen? Um, we we're supposed to do it this way. Okay, I think that you know this was a problem. Going forward, we're going to pay special attention to that. You know, and and if you're checking in on things periodically, making sure you know just a few minutes a day, checking in on things that they're happening, um, it's really going to prevent issues like getting out of hand. So when you're hiring people, do you go out to look for employees that have their own equipment already, or should you buy everything for them? So um, the idea of only bringing on staff that have everything they need is really tempting. I know that's something that uh, I tried to do for a long time. I wanted to bring on a photographer that had like everything they needed, cameras, flashes, like everything, reliable transportation. Well, I think people should have that. But in my experience, photographers who do have their own gear and who know what they're doing, they're not really interested in working for me. At least that's my experience. Um, admins that would be working remotely should have a computer and an internet connection that can handle the workload already. But if you're using paid software, that's probably something that you should buy a license for if they don't have one already. If you're trying to bring in a partner an equal partner into your business, they should invest in your business. So don't let someone say, oh, I'll take 50% ownership and then I'll take all these photo shoots for you. Uh, if you're building a business and somebody wants something for nothing, you, you've got a problem there. Uh, if you have a photographer who has a book of business and they have their equipment and they're like, you know, our forces combined could do so much better, maybe they don't have to spend any money. But if you're bringing on a professional photographer to, to work with you, as a partner, don't let them in the door to just take an unfair share of the business without actually compensating you for it. But you know, so so just like it's your job as the owner and manager to train your employees, for the most part, you should equip them. Usually what I'm doing is, you know, when someone is shadowing me, watching me, following me around and learning, that's usually when the new gear is coming in the mail. Once I know that I'm definitely hiring someone and then I go through the interviews and actually get a new assistant as far as photography side of things is concerned. I've, I've got, you know, a new case, camera, memory cards, all these things. They're, they're coming in the mail, and then after a week or two, they'll get all boxed up, wrap them with the correct color of tape or whatever, so everyone knows what gear is to what case, um, to what kit, I should say, and then uh, send them on their merry way. If you are hiring on people that have some stuff, you still might want to do this just for the consistency factor. So you own everything and, you know, obviously you want to insure things. You might want to have a contractual agreement with them about uh, what you're going to do with the gear as far as are they going to take it home? If they are, they have to maintain it. If not, they have to drop it off at the office. That has to be another thing. Admins, I, f I find are a lot easier because usually they have everything that they need. Computer, internet connection, phone, <laughs> right? Just like that. If you are hiring someone to do cold calling, like I said, if you're not in you know, my program. I mean, if you are, you could use my cold callers. We could just, you know, upload a new list for you. But if you're training someone for there, usually I'd buy them a Skype number. I think it's like $60 a year. You can get them a local Skype phone number so they can actually call. Like stuff like that, stuff that is specific to your work that you need done, you should provide that for them. I mean, if they already have it and they're willing to use it, you know, 
if it fits within your workflow, then let them. Uh, but just be aware that just like it's your responsibility to train them, it's also your responsibility to uh, give them the tools that they need to do the job. What should I do if I'm so busy that I could use some staff to help me, but I just can't afford payroll or I couldn't if I tried? First, take a look at your spending habits. If you're being wasteful with your money, uh, let's, let's stop that right now. Take a close look at how you spend your money. A lot of photographers get into this habit of just like buying stuff and buying stuff. A lot of people have this idea like, oh, I just need enough money to be comfortable and pay my bills. And what happens is as they start making money, they start spending it and like, oh, look, I'm paying my bills and I'm, I'm comfortable. I don't need to have a fortune in the bank. Well, you know, when it comes time to make some big financial decisions and your spending habits are like a flowing river instead of a dam, for example, back to the, I guess that's not too mechanical of a metaphor anyway. You want to start looking very closely. Are you buying coffee every day? Are you eating out a lot? Like I'm still packing lunch and making coffee at home, taking out the thermos, you know, like every day. <laughs> and a lot of people, even the people that are working for me, they're still like, you just got to be careful about your spending habits. You got to tighten that belt, not because you just got to be this crummy, greedy miser that's pinching every penny and who's so cheap that you're just intolerable to even be around. But it's about making intelligent financial decisions for your business. Sometimes you just got to tighten the belt a little bit so you can hire on those people and use their work to help you make even more money in the long run, right? Save some money now, make a whole bunch more later. <laughs> it's a no-brainer. A lot of people are going to have a tough time breaking out of that habit, which is why before, one of the first things I mentioned, goals, mindset. If you're willing to do what it takes, if you're the kind of person that you're making 10, 15,000 a month, 20,000, and you're just like, oh boy, you've got two car payments, you've got a mortgage payment, you've got credit cards, you're eating out, you're flying all over the place. A lot of people do it. It's unfortunate, but if they would only be a little bit more frugal, they'd be able to make even more and have an even brighter future. So I, you know, I, I talk a lot about the just common sense financial practices, because when you're talking photography, you're thinking, I'm going to take pictures and that's all I'm going to do. Well, the reality is that like the taking of the photos is only a small part of the business. First, you have to get the client in the first place. You have to get your client. You have to have the gear. You have to show up. Yeah, you're taking some pictures. Then there's editing and delivery. There's the whole customer service, right? If there's a problem, if they don't like something, what do you do? How do you deal with these things? That's all super important. And taking a photo is just a small part of that. And then if you want to do literally hundreds of these a year, hundreds and hundreds of them, maybe hundreds a month, those systems are going to have to be air tight. And if you're in a position where you are being wasteful with your finances, that can upset the whole machine or even prevent it from building up to anything. A lot of us could use a little bit more discipline when it comes to spending money. I, I know that's true for myself as well. Even though, you know, I try to be as good as I can be, I'm definitely not perfect but at least understand the decisions that you're making and why you are making them. So if you're going to go out and you're going to blow a bunch of money, if you like to gamble, if you like nice new cars, 
You got to understand what you're doing. Don't just do it mindlessly. And then months and months later, you're just like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? We've all been there, right? <laughs> oh, I know I have. Okay. Second, you want to look at your prices versus the quality of your work, right? Are you even charging enough money? Are you undercharging for your services? Or on the other side, are you underperforming? Are you not delivering as high a quality of product as you could be that could bring you higher prices that could put you in that financial situation where you then could afford payroll? So either one of these can be fixed. And I talk about, you know, improving the quality of your photography generally throughout these episodes. I talk about pricing specifically in a whole podcast episode. So you can look back to those if you haven't heard them already. And let's also remember that our first hires should not be our most expensive hires either. If you're starting out with just yourself and maybe you want to build a, a small team, you don't need to hire full-fledged photographers. You can hire people. In fact, you should first hire people who will help you work faster and more efficiently. I'm talking about an admin, an editor, a web designer, other freelancers, or entrepreneurs that can come in and help you improve the quality of your work, the time that you deliver your work in, right? Help you work better, faster on a per job or an as needed basis. And, and these are the cheap hires. These are the high, like, this is not a full-time salaried employee with benefits. This is just a guy that's going to help edit some photo shoots here and there, or a girl, someone to help you like answering emails someone to help you with designing your website, maintaining it. And I, I have a whole episode on websites too. Those should be your first hires. And they're the least expensive ones. Your most expensive hire are going to be like full-fledged, like partner level photographers or just, you know, photographers working for you as employees. So let's just keep that in mind because when you hire someone, it should help you be more productive, get more work done, give you more free time, or help you to do that much more business, right? My first hire was an admin, just a back-end admin to make sure photos were being delivered to the right people at the right time, to handle invoicing, to handle answering emails, like I said. And I built these things up slowly. You don't have to hire all these people all at once, but look critically and think about your business and what things are taking up the most of your time and what things are making you the most money. If the thing that is taking up the most time is not the thing that is making you money, maybe you should try and focus your time on making money and then have someone help you with the other things. And you, like I said, you can find those freelancers overseas that it's just a really good living wage. I'm not, not even minimum wage. I mean, a really good living wage for them is much cheaper than minimum wage here. Here is in, you know, the continental United States, specifically the Eastern seaboard. Okay. So this is all fascinating, but how am I even going to get to that level where I can start thinking about really growing my business? So, you know, like I said, at the very beginning, first off, if you aren't there yet, you got to figure out if this is the direction that you actually want to grow in. And if you do, then you want to keep learning how to do everything that you are doing better. Learn how to quickly and easily execute a photo shoot. Deliver quickly and easily finished photos to the client. When you know you have a rock-solid workflow, then focus on going out and prospecting. If you've been listening to me for a while, you know about my thoughts on prospecting for your new business. If you have a really good product, 
the only thing, and let, let me say that again, if you have a really good product, not just average crap, like if you focus and learn and develop your skills on taking good photos, and if you have a really good product, the only thing that is keeping it out of the hands of potential clients is you. The only thing keeping out of your client's hands is you. You need to get out there and you need to get more clients. You need to fill up your calendar. And as you get busy, you can hire on an admin to help you with the back office stuff, the basic customer tasks. And then you can use the admin to free up more hours out of your week. And then you can book more photo shoots during those recently freed up hours. When you're even busier than ever again, you hire on an editor who can help you deliver as good a final image as you can, or better, ideally. When you use the editor to help free up even more time for even more shoots, same thing goes for prospecting. Prospect even more. Once your business is morphs or evolves into this complex machine, because, I mean, in my own experience, that's the best way to do it. Let your business grow and evolve into something much better than what it was when it started out. You want to create this system that is eating booked photo shoots and spitting out final polished images almost automatically. And then once this infrastructure is built out around you, all you have to do is you know take the photos, upload them, and then all the stuff is going on behind the scenes and you're getting photos delivered to your client, that's when it's time to hire another photographer. You shouldn't hire a photographer first because they are your most expensive hires and you get the lowest return on your investment for them. A highly skilled photographer is going to take up 60-70% of whatever your income is from that photo shoot. How about you create just a factory that can help you book a high volume of appointments and execute them quickly and efficiently and upload and edit and deliver them very quickly and efficiently. It's just going to put you in a better place emotionally and mentally for one, because I know that five or six shoots a day, I just wouldn't be able to handle editing them. But to just go take the photos, go home, upload, and then play video games, go out for a hike, you know, breathe fresh air and look around at the green... Jeez, I don't know. I don't know what people do. I'm sorry. I'm faking it, everyone. I'm faking it. I don't actually, I don't do anything. I just work all day. God, I have no life. But I'm telling you, if you wanted, instead of running multiple businesses and, and you know, doing photo shoots sun up to sundown personally, um, you can take that time. I'm choosing to use my time to do even more work. I don't have to. I'm doing it because that's what I want. You can choose to freely spend your time the way that you want to. And that's really the beautiful thing about hiring employees and working with your own staff. Hiring staff is not about passing off responsibility. It's about building systems and putting people at key points within them to keep everything moving. And that's the episode. I hope this was helpful and informative for you all. This wasn't just a random string of ideas for my imagination, by the way. This whole process that I'm talking about here is something that I've gone through by trial and error and mostly error. <laughs> no, not mostly, not mostly error. But it's a system that I'm currently using in my own business. And, you know, I talk a lot about the business side of real estate photography, but let's not forget that like 75% of my time is spent out on location or locations doing photo shoots. 
Remember the thing about training photographers, letting them shadow me? I'm still going out and I'm still taking pictures every day, eh, almost every day. I, I usually take weekends off to do, um, I have a couple other side things that I like to do on the weekends. But the model that I'm talking about here, it's not just going to work for Tom Vargiletis in Massachusetts. These are common sense practices that you can apply to your own business. If you're interested in some one-on-one coaching with me to cover these ideas, and really so much more. Please reach out, please. If you have any comments or questions for me or anything at all like that, any feedback, I'd be really grateful to receive them. And remember that, you know, if the question is appropriate for a future episode, I am more than happy to address it. I can do a full episode on a question as I have done in the past. So if you'd like to reach me, uh, you could email me directly. My email is tom at ftrephoto.com, or you can find me on Instagram at Tom Vargiletis. Sorry for having a weird spelled name. If you're Greek, you'll understand. Uh, it's at Tom, T-O-M, Vargiletis, V-A-R-G-E-L-E-T-I-S. No space, no underscore or anything. It's just a string of letters. And I look forward to hearing you. Until next time.